The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. After weeks of speculation and argument, the decision to lift the eviction ban was formally announced yesterday, with Minister for Housing Dara O'Brien conceding that it could very possibly lead to an increase in homelessness. One person facing homelessness is mother of three, Lisa Brady, who could soon be leaving her home in Cherry Orchard in Dublin after nine years. And she joins me now, as does Lorcan Sir, Senior Lecturer at TU Dublin and Housing Policy Analyst, to give us his thoughts on the potential solutions that government could employ to mitigate any surge and homelessness. You're both very welcome. Lisa, we'll start with you. You've been a long time in the current property. Were there ever any issues over the years? No, no issues. I've uh, always paid my rent on time, never in any arrears. And I've have a, like, I have a good relationship with the landlord as well, so there was no issues at all. Now, when did the landlord uh, tell you that uh, he wanted to get access yeah, to the property? So and, was- and, and for what? Was he going to sell it? And uh, now that was back in the end of April last year, I got me notice and it was because he has to move back in to the apartment. He said his circumstances have changed, so he needs an apartment for himself. OK, so uh, that was a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, but you were given notice because you were a long term tenant. You were given, what, seven months notice? Yeah, 224 days, yeah. So uh, presumably you started looking at that point for accommodation. Yeah. How did yeah, you did, yeah. how'd you get on? I'm literally just not really hearing back from anyone here. They constantly email and for properties like apartments, houses, and you're not hearing anything back. So it just is a bit of a nightmare. I've literally managed to get one view in the whole time. And when you look across the area where you want to live, I mean, you you want to stay close to the schools and all of yeah. that, given you've got three children. Um, you're in a, looking in a particular area. How many premises are there available in your area at the budget that you can afford? Um, at the moment, in the area like I'd like to stay in, there's actually zero properties up on Daft to apply for. Zero. Obviously, I'm branching out wider as well to try apply for properties like in other areas. I obviously can't just stick to like body frame where I want to stay, and there's not many at all. And I have to stay, but like under a certain limit and stuff. So it's like very hard. <laughs> Now, you are in receipt of uh, HAP, isn't that so? Not at the moment, I'm not, but I'm approved for that. I'm actually on rent, rent supplements at the moment, which they're trying to do away with that. Okay, but you, you qualify for HAP? Yeah. So, so that's HAP, how you yeah. work out the budget that you can afford f- yeah. for new accommodation? Yeah, and because I'm facing homelessness now, I'm approved for homeless HAP, it's cost. See, the, so the, the, the problem, the solution that might have been there for you, because the government is talking about this, is that the local authority would buy the house or the apartment in which you live. But if the owner wants to move into it himself, then that's not really a possibility. Yeah. And the apartment I'm living in is not the size that I'm actually down for. I'm in a two bed, which I'm classed that I should be getting a three bed, you know. So I don't know what way that works either. But obviously, like, I'm a little bit cramped in the apartment I'm in, but I'd stay here to have the security and stability over my kids' homes if I could, you know, yeah. or their heads. You've put your name, I'm sure, years ago on the housing list. Yeah, I'm on it now, 11 years. 11 and years. And I was only actually in with the council yesterday, yeah, speaking to them, and I'm number 55 for this area, and in another area I'm number 94. So they've basically said it's going to be a long time before I offered council housing. So you're number 55 in, in your area and yeah. and 94 in another area, all yeah. run by the same county council, yeah? Yeah. 
So you and wonder how many you. how many area lists do they have going? How many houses or apartments do they need to provide to get oh. that list down? Yeah. I just don't know what is going to come of all of it. So really when would you be leaving the apartment if all of this happens? I mean, when does your... your well, I have to leave. Like, I don't have a choice. I have to leave now on the 4th of April, which is a Saturday, which Parque Hall, like, aren't open to even present homeless on that day. So even that is tricky, like, in itself, you know? Yeah. And what about the children? Have you told them they're they're going to have to move and they, yeah, I they have. have uncertain circumstances? Yeah, I've told, I've tried to prepare them. My eldest is kind of, he's 11, so he's really worried about it. And does be asking me and I'm trying to reassure him. But I feel like I'm lying to him as well because the situation is so bad. But I can't tell the kids stuff. You know, I can't obviously explain to an 11 year old how serious it actually is. Now, many people uh, who are homeless uh, are actually couch surfing, you know, living with relatives yeah. or friends. Uh, have you explored any of those options? Are any of them possible? It's not really possible to put myself and three children into anyone else's home. Sure. It's not like it's just me going into it. It's actually four people. Yeah. Nobody has room for that. People are cramped themselves with their kids, you know. Like no one has a spare room to give to me and three children. So it's not really an option for me. Yeah. Now, now, what uh, has the council said to you? If you are rendered homeless, as you expect to be on the 1st of April, mm. what will they offer you? Will they offer you emergency accommodation? I don't know. That's what I'm being told. That like emergency accommodation actually isn't available. That it's stretched to the maximum now. That this is like what why I don't understand the decision that was made yesterday because they're putting the hundreds of families now homeless on the fourth of April. Yeah, they don't have emergency accommodation. So like, what are you meant to do? You know, it's just I just think that like the decision was absolutely shocking. Okay, and and there's no space with uh, extended family or anything like that so you no. really don't know where you stand come the first yeah, of April I don't know what is going to happen I just have to take mm-hmm. this now day by day Have you contacted your local councillors local TDs? Yeah I actually was dealing with a TD I'm not going to mention any names and they actually didn't bother I have, had been down with this TD but they didn't bother contact me back after ringing the office a few times they told me they'd be getting onto um, a homeless prevention team and I was waiting to hear back didn't hear back and I rang the office and still haven't heard back. Now, uh, often, you know, landlords uh, and, you know, agencies that uh, rent properties, uh, they they get so many inquiries, you know, hundreds of inquiries, yeah. and I don't know how they decide who they, they let to. Um, yeah. It may be a lottery or first come, first served, who knows. But even trying mm. to get a viewing is, is very difficult. I'm just uh, yeah. wondering, you know, people listening in who hear you will know you know, you sound like a very reliable tenant. Nine years in one tenancy, yeah. no issues. I even have like a, a brilliant reference off my landlord, like to even state that, yeah. you know. So, but, uh, um, and you've got a budget of uh, up to 1950. That's that what HAP would uh, uh, allow you. Yeah. So I'm just putting it out there. If there's anyone in your general area that yeah. likes the cut of your jib and um, knows that they they might want to have a safe tenant, you know, rather yeah, than um, yeah, than anybody just out of the paper or, or you know, off a, yeah. uh, an estate well, agent's I, I notice board. Like, um, I do feel, though, that when you're going for viewings or if landlords or agents are hearing from you, I feel like when it comes to HAP tenants, they rather get like a couple in or something that's just handing cash directly. I just feel, I don't know, just once yeah. they're offered because obviously they have the process of the whole 
when you're accepting a hap tenant, all the paperwork and stuff, you know. Yeah, but there may be people who like the reliability of HAP um, and like the sound of your voice, as I say, and you've got three uh, kids. Uh, What are they? The eldest is a boy. I have three sons. Three three sons, three boys. All right, so uh, they may like the sound of you and if they have accommodation that they're thinking of putting on the the open market for renting, uh, that's the deal. 1950 and uh, a very reliable tenant. Look, Lisa, thank you very much for, for talking to us. Um, Lisa Brady, mother of three boys facing eviction on the 1st of April. Lorcan, sir, listening to that. Um, this is one story, but there will be many out there, one suspects, Lorcan. Yeah, absolutely, Pat. And the, <coughs> excuse me, the interesting thing about the eviction ban this time around compared to the previous one is the previous one was much more comprehensive. And if you have, for example, received a notice of termination, it's called basically an eviction notice, before the, the previous ban kicked in, you would have been covered, even though you know, you'd received it in advance. <clears throat> this one didn't do that. So we still saw a lot of people coming through and presenting as homelessness, despite the fact that we have an eviction ban. It's kind of funny to hear a minister say that he can do nothing to prevent homelessness, or you know, that he expects there to be increased homelessness. These people, <coughs> excuse me, these people have been you know, we've, we've, even back in 2017 when Simon Coveney was minister, homelessness was just over 2,000 people and he promised to end it by July, I think, 2017, Pat, and it's now pushing 12,000. So everything they've done so far, you know, hasn't worked. So it's time to try something different. And like lifting an eviction ban when you're facing 12,000 people homelessness, uh, you know, 12,000 people, okay. you know, now, homeless, and that increasing isn't very clever, I think. Now, obviously, supply, supply, supply is the solution ultimately to this. And supply uh, is coming along, but it'll be years before we can match a supply to the demand. But all of these uh, properties that are going to be um, taken by the landlords and used in some way, I mean, they're not going to be turned into sweet shops. They're going to be homes for people. So what we're we're doing is displacing some people from their homes and putting other people in who presumably are also looking for properties. Um, So that's what's going to happen, whether the property is sold or rented again. That's what's going to happen. There are going to be people living in them. Yeah, the, the, at the core of the problem, Pat, is the use of the private rental sector for social housing. Yeah. And like really, people like Lisa should have, in the old days, what we would call a council house. There are 60,000 uh, households like Lisa currently availing of, say, housing, housing assistance payment or, or RAS or the rent supplement in the private rental sector, and they shouldn't be there, effectively. I mean, they're taking up, uh, 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 taking up a whole lot of space. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean, th- those are people that traditionally would have got a council house and the council would have provided. Of course, we stopped building council houses 30-odd years ago, and we haven't got that back in train just yet. Yeah. To address your first point about a house is, is still a house, Absolutely. I mean, we know that for every for every three houses that a landlord sells, one will come back into the private rental sector. And there are others, don't forget, that will move from being a private rental house and someone will sell that, the landlord will sell it, to a council. So it will end up again as a social house yeah. and councils are buying over 2,000 such houses every year. So it's, it's, it's not as if every house that's leaving the private rental sector is gone, as you say. A lot of them will be turned into homes for homeowners. And then, uh, you know, somewhere between 13 and 40% will end up back in some form of rental stock yeah. again. So, so that's the point that that you're you're just moving the occupants around. You will have occupants for all of these properties, and you know they're they're not going to be knocked down. They're not going to be turned into sweet shops. As I said they're going to be there for people to live in. There are obviously changes of use. Sometimes you'll have a family living in a house where before you had eight singles sharing that house. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you yeah. you will have that kind of thing. Now, on top of all of that. 
you have to bear in mind, I suppose, uh, 70,000 Ukrainians have come to Ireland and, of course, others seeking international uh, asylum uh, who have been put up in hotels and so on and so forth. And that can't be ignored in the problems that any government would face. Well, interesting you say that because we have the 70,000 Ukrainians and most of them are, are put up in, in, in hotels and that kind of accommodation. So they're not in the private rental sector and, and not really going to displace too many people. But the, the, the point about that is that in our housing projections, in our assessment of what housing we need for the next five or ten years, we don't take account of these Ukrainians. We don't take account of these 70,000 people which is wrong. We're kind of assuming that a lot of those people are going to go back to Ukraine and of course they won't for lots of reasons including the fact that Zelensky doesn't want them going back just at the moment. So we need to start kind of having an honest conversation about what our real housing need is. We have 60,000 people on HAP in the rental sector and we have 70,000 people from Ukraine who aren't displacing them um, but you know we need to take account for them in our housing projections and what we need to build and we're not really building a whole lot. The other point though Pat is that landlords Landlord activity in the market is down. It's down 28% since 2017. Yeah. I know that because I've gone through the stamp duty numbers there the other day. And, and really what we're doing, what, we, what we're forgetting about a lot of the landlords who are leaving the market is that a lot of it is what I would call natural attrition, right? The average landlord has been a landlord, small landlord, has been a landlord in Ireland for about 19 years, right? They're pushing 60 years of age. For many of them, it was their, you know, part of a large part of their pension pot. And for lots of reasons, they're kind of deciding to get out of that. And we're not going to stop that no matter what we do. You know, it's very hard to stop people who are in their early 60s from saying, I don't want to be a landlord anymore. No matter what you do, they're going to go, which is yeah. fine. They're off. But what we need to do then is attract the next generation of small landlords in. We can't leave the whole landlord market to the large funds who are charging huge amounts of rent every, every month. We need to kind of generate or, what would you call, grow a, a new generation of small landlords and make it attractive for them. The government had plenty of opportunities at the last budget and they didn't do it. You know, in other words, yeah. a lot of the, the gripes of, of small landlords are around taxation. Rent is taxed basically as income, and it shouldn't be. I mean, it should be taxed as business income. Uh, and at the same time, you have the large funds paying almost zero tax on their rental income. So uh, you know, there are lots of things the government could have done before ending this eviction ban, and they didn't do it. Mm. Um, the, the whole question of over-regulation, I mean, you bring in an eviction ban, and they have, uh, I think, um, Stephen Donnelly and also the Minister of Housing said, you know, you're going to have to face this question at some point um, to end end any uh, such eviction bans, constitutional questions, private property and all the rest of it, um, that they have to face it at some point. And maybe this is not the right moment, but that's what they've done anyway. But the scaring the landlords out of the market for fear of utterly restrictive legislation, you know, that you might never uh, be able to get your own property back. Well, the constitutional thing is always brought up when it suits them, to be honest with you. That's my experience. Uh, and, you know, Attorney General... No, but I mean, the, right, the simple thing, the right to a private to private property. You buy a house with a view maybe to occupying it someday or one of your children occupying it, and yeah. then suddenly you're told you cannot get rid of the tenant that you've had in that place, uh, even I, though you yeah. want it for your, for your daughter or, for, or indeed for yourself if you were downsizing a big house. You can't occupy yeah. it yourself. I mean, the I don't right think to anybody would get rid of that. Yeah, I don't think any government would ever get get rid of that. Even the most left wing government in Ireland wouldn't, if there ever was one, wouldn't get rid of that. What they probably would do at the moment, Pat, a landlord, if their son, daughter, niece, nephew, adopted child, foster child, parents, or parents in law want the property, you can be evicted as a tenant. In other jurisdictions, such as Scotland, that's limited to the landlord and their spouse. 
And I think that's, that's a good idea. And I think when you bring in increased what we call security of tenure for tenants, you counterbalance that on the other side by, you know, giving much better tax treatment for the landlords, for example. And you do the two things. What you'll find when you look at the research is that regulation is way down the list of things that bother landlords. It's not at the bottom of the list, but it's like number four or number five. And it doesn't really bother the large landlords, the phones, a whole lot either, because they're kind of yeah. more professional now, um, in the way they do things. One of the things that John Fitzgerald was talking to us about yesterday was the, the idea of unfurnished apartments or houses that used to be available. And then because of changes in the law, it meant that no longer anyone who occupied an unfurnished one back in the day could never be removed. So it led to a practice now of, of rarely an unfurnished apartment, for example, being put on the market. And lots of people have their own furniture. Um, but, you know, you'll always be getting a furnished apartment, however sparsely it might be furnished. So do we need to, to set up a whole new um, regime whereby you have short term leases, you've got long term leases, medium term leases, you know, forever leases? And people know what they're signing up to, because I think when you and I were talking before, there is a market for the short term lease that someone doesn't want to be stuck necessarily in one apartment when their job might be mobile uh, or, you know, yeah. they, they might have an increase in family size, whatever. Yeah. So they don't want to be stuck with maybe a 10 year lease. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think the legislation and our structure, the way we have organised our rental market over the years, it's very complex. It's, it's arguably much more complicated than it needs to be, and the whole lot needs reform. The Residential Tenancies Act from 2004 and all the legislation ever since needs to be kind of rebundled and put into something much more more simple. I agree about the... the um, John Fitzgerald is absolutely right about the, the difference between furnished and unfurnished uh, apartments, and it was much better for landlords to let them furnished, which is why we have that tradition of doing it. If you've lived abroad, I've lived in, in Sweden and Belgium and places, if you go to Sweden, for example, you will rent an apartment and there won't even be a light bulb in it. Yeah. And when you, when you think about that, you can see why companies like IKEA do so well in Europe, because they provide that kind of furniture for, for the mobile person that's not too expensive, and if you move every few years, you can afford to buy a couch or whatever it is that yeah. you need to do. So you can see why this, I, I would be fully in favour of, you know, unfurnished apartments, but again, it's back to taxation and treatment, uh, how we reform that, tax, that, that taxation system to make it attractive for landlords to say, here's a fully unfurnished, unfurnished apartment, and you can have it for five years, or you can have it for ten years, or whatever, it makes no difference to me, because I'm making good money out of it from the tax system. Yeah, and, you know, linking it to consumer price index, so nobody's in any doubt as to, you know, where the rent might be going, so if you're in a recession, your rent might actually go down. If you're in a yeah. an inflationary period, the rent goes up, and that's just it. Yeah, and that's the way it is. The problem with that is, you know, in a period of high inflation, it tends to be a time when people are most in economic need. Now, we're in a funny situation at the moment. We full full employment at the same time as a high inflationary period, yeah. but that's quite unusual. So, anyway, there, there are mechanisms. Yeah, and you can you can have a time that. lag yeah. built in, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, there are very much... I mean, and if you go to somewhere like Sweden, you'll find that the, the, it's the local authority that sets the rent per square metre for an area. Uh, and if you have a problem with your landlord, you go to the local authority, and the local authority will determine they have a, yeah. a table basically that determines what yeah. the price and, per square meter is. Lorcan, I've been advocating that. I don't get too many takers. The idea that we regulate <laughs> price per square yeah. meter depending on grading, area, etc. Yeah. etc. And what that does, Pat, is it brings in certainty for you and me as, say, potential landlords. And I know, for example, if I look at an 80 square meter apartment to buy as a landlord, which I'm not going to do, but as, as I look at it, I know for sure what my rent is going to be and what my income is going to be and what my outgoings are going to be. And I can make an informed judgment then, not a risky judgment as they have to make at the moment.
You're the Minister for Common Sense, Lorcan. <laughs> Thank you very much <laughs> for joining us. Lorcan Sir, Senior Lecturer at TU Dublin, Housing Policy Analyst. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.